You're listening to another podcast. A podcast not only of reviewing and discussing, but of discovery. A deep dive into a classic show whose influence is immeasurable. Your next stop, Anthology. Hello and welcome to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is a podcast where I review The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology series. For archives of all of my episodes, visit AnthologyPod.com. You can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com AnthologyPod and follow me on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. And if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer viewer. Um, on Patreon, at the $1 per month level, you'll get access to over 100 exclusive B-roll episodes, and at the $2 a month level, you'll get that plus TV review and reaction episodes. I'm currently doing episode reviews of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and I'll be doing Loki and uh, some other shows throughout the year. And at the $5 per month level, you'll get all that plus movie commentary tracks and immediate reviews of movies that I watch. I recently recorded and released uh, commentary tracks tracks for Ex Machina, It Chapter 2, Throne of Blood, The Shining, and Doctor Sleep. And finally, at the $10 per month level, you'll get all of that, plus early access to podcast episodes and previously unreleased content. Again, that's at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. So today on the show, I'll be discussing a game of pool. It's the fifth episode of The Twilight Zone's third season, and it originally aired on October 13th, 1961. And in lieu of a science fiction theater review this week, I'll be rounding out the episode with a bonus review of the remake of A Game of Pool, which was the 20th episode of the 1980s reboot of The Twilight Zone's third season, and it aired on February 4th, 1989. Um, I know how much you guys like are just in love with the science fiction theater reviews I do each week, especially since the show is largely unavailable and out of print. So I apologize that I'm taking a break from science fiction theater. I know you guys are clamoring for it. So I <laughs> uh, hope you guys enjoy this uh, review of both versions of A Game of Pool. So let's just dive right in. I'm going to go ahead and read the plot summary, courtesy of The Twilight Zone, Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic by Martin Grahams Jr. I should say right off the top that I'm really excited about this episode because I'm always excited when I get to review different versions of the same episode, but I'm particularly excited about this one because I'm finally doing the thing that I always want to do when I do this, and frankly, I can't remember if I have done this um, in the past, but I'm really excited because um, as I'm recording this part of the episode... I have not watched the remake yet, so I'm going to review, I'm going to record my review of the original series, A Game of Pool, and then I'm going to watch and make my notes and do all that with the 1980s version. So while I'm reviewing the original episode, just keep in mind that I have no idea what's to come in the remake, and I'm really excited about that because I think that'll make for a pretty interesting episode of the podcast, I think. So having said that, <clears throat> I have a frog in my throat. Um, <laughs> having said that, here's the plot summary, courtesy of The Twilight Zone, Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic by Martin Grahams Jr. In the after hours of a Chicago pool hall, Jesse Cardiff swears to the heavens that he would give anything to play a game against the late James Howard Brown, a.k.a. Fats Brown, a legendary pool shark. His wish is granted when the ghost of Brown appears to take up the challenge. To make his long journey worthwhile... 
that wages uh, Jesse's life on a game of pool. Knowing he cannot make a legend of himself without a little risk, Jesse agrees to the terms. One game, 300 points. The game starts in Jesse's favor, but after the first few racks, Fats proves his worth. During the game, Fats gives Jesse some advice, live a little. There are things more important in life than a game of pool. Women, fishing, movies. But to Jesse, a game of pool isn't nice. It's a win-at-any-price affair. When the game comes to a climax with a simple pocket hanger, Jesse succeeds in sinking the ball, ignoring Fat's warning that if he wins the game, he'll earn more than he bargained for. Years later, after Jesse's untimely demise, he discovers he is another legend in the clouds. He has taken the place of Fat's and is now being summoned to another game of pool from another pool shark offering a challenge. So, um, again, I think... Don't remember if I gave this warning ahead of time, but I'm going to be spoiling the entire episode as I just did in the plot summary. So, um, yeah, spoiling the entire episode. So, starring as Jesse Car, uh, oh, starring as Jesse Cardiff, um, is Jack Klugman making his second appearance out of four appearances on the Twilight Zone. Um, he previously appeared in a passage for Trumpet, uh, which is interesting because it's kind of a similar type of story. But uh, I'll get to that in the review, I'm sure. Um, And next we'll see from him is in the Notorious Season 4. I don't know if the episode itself is Notorious, but the episode that he appears in in Season 4, the next episode he appears in, wow, is Death Ship in Season 4. I should have said the episode that he next appears in is Death Ship in the Notorious Season 4. There we go. Uh, co-starring as Fats Brown is Jonathan Winters. This was his only episode of The Twilight Zone. Um, but also, this was also his only serious role in his career. He was known for comedy, and in particular, I believe he was known as a kind of master improvisation comedy, uh, comic. Um, he died in 2013, but it's worth noting, um that his last on-screen role was in a short film called The Kid and the Babe in 2009, where he played Babe Ruth. And the reason I say that that's interesting is because um, the entire time I was watching this episode, I was like, this guy looks like a dead ringer like Babe Ruth, and I would love to see him portray Babe Ruth. And that short film is pretty okay. Um, I do have a link in the show notes to it on uh, YouTube. It is available on YouTube. And uh, it's okay. It's funny. It's It's kind of... I don't know. It's kind of funny, um, but it's interesting that he finally got to play Babe Ruth. I presume that's his only time playing Babe Ruth. Uh, writer for this episode was George Clayton Johnson. Um, he didn't like the ending. <laughs> interesting kind of side note. Um, he had a different ending in mind. Um, the ending in his script was, I believe, that um, Jesse was uh, Jesse wins, and then Fats like says like, Oh, I'm not going to actually, I'm not going to take your life or anything. Just, you know, um, or no, no, I think Jesse loses. That's right. Jesse loses. And then he, uh, fats decides not to honor the agreement and have him killed or, or whatever. Um, instead he just tells him, you know, to live life or whatever. And, um, I think the original ending ended on Jesse, um, kind of, kind of just saying like, I'm going to practice and I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to have a rematch and I'm going to win or something like that. Um, but George Clayton Johnson didn't like the Serling ending that, uh, I think, I think it was Serling, uh, changed the ending around. And I guess there was some rift between, uh, George Clayton Johnson and at least Buck Houghton, um, who kind of was the messenger of the, of the, uh, 
change in the script. Director for this episode was Buzz Kulik, and this is his sixth of nine episodes. We previously saw his work in The Mind and the Matter in season two, and next we'll see from him is A Quality of Mercy, uh, which is this season, I believe, season three. So, okay, talent rundown is done. So I'm going to go into my feelings as a viewer. And what I knew before going into this episode was I had no idea what this was about. Um, <laughs> I had no idea, but I was very excited about Jack Klugman. Um, specifically because I was really charmed by his performance in A Passage for Trumpet. And I just, he has that kind of, that every man kind of, at least in A Passage for Trumpet and also somewhat in A Game of Pool, um, that kind of down-on-his-luck kind of guy. Like that kind of – I really liked his um, his kind of his kind of down-on-his-luck energy in A Passage for Trumpet, but also this tortured, talented genius kind of thing, which is why I say that it's interesting that A Game of Pool has some similar themes to A Passage for Trumpet. Um, also, I have to say this in my <laughs> that uh, because I'm, I'm going to sound like an idiot, but in my notes I have, maybe it's a riff on The Devil Went Down to Georgia, and I uh, looked it up, and that song was released in 1979. <laughs> So uh, I was way off on that. But I did think that it might have been something like the devil coming into a pool hall and, and like challenging a, a, a billiards p- player to a game of pool in exchange for a soul or something, which isn't really that far off from what the episode is actually about. Um, but it's it's different. Um, but then I also put in my notes, it's about a game of pool. <laughs> And uh, I think I've caught wind of someone hustling someone. Um, And then I also wondered if maybe it was a game of wits with pool as the backdrop for it, Um, which wasn't really the case. And I'm actually really glad that it wasn't the case because I, I was really interested in this episode. Like I found this, I found the, some of the themes and the character beats of Jesse Cardiff incredibly compelling. And I guess that's as good a time as any to go into my um, review of A Game of Pool. So we open on the empty pool hall with Jesse just standing over the uh, pool table and he's celebrating a shot that he made. And he's he's kind of performing to an empty room. And he... uh, what I found really compelling was that he talked specifically about what all went right to get that shot that he did. Um, perfect. And he's saying, he's saying it to no one, but he's kind of also, um, saying it to us, which I found interesting because his gaze is not into camera, but later in the episode, he does speak directly into camera. He does, he does break the fourth wall to speak to the audience, uh, directly, but here he's just kind of talking off to the side, not making eye t- contact with the, uh, with the camera, not breaking the fourth wall specifically because he is, it's like, he's reassuring himself. He is building himself up in his mind with, with, um, kind of just hypothetical or not even hypothetical, just reassuring himself that he did everything perfect with this, with this shot. And right from the outset, I was so on board with this. Um, it painted such a strong image of a person who is obsessed with their craft and is obsessed with honing their craft. And while that comes across throughout the episode as a major character flaw for Jesse, it's something that I really related to. And I mean, I'll probably, I'll probably, uh, link, link back to this, um, comparison throughout this entire review, but 
I'm sitting in my room uh, speaking into a, a, a brand new microphone, into a brand new mixer um, with brand new sound paneling um, things against my wall to keep this to keep the sound at bay. Basically, I have spent the last few weeks upgrading all of my podcasting equipment specifically so that I can get the best sound quality I can so that I can hone this craft of podcasting into uh, something that I am proud of and everything. And that's something that seeing this episode at this point in my podcasting career, um, it's a hobby, um, but, but check out Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Anyway, um, checking out or, or seeing this episode at this time w- resonated with me in a huge way. And I thought that was really interesting. So immediately after, um, Jesse, um, is celebrating his, his shot, he, kind of brings himself down immediately and says that he he's basically talking about how he's living in the shadow of Fats Brown, a Deadpool player. He says that, um, what do I hear? It's, it's, um, you're, you're pretty good, Jesse, but Fats was the best and he's been dead for 15 years. And so this is just Jesse. It's just conveying that Jesse needs to prove to himself and others that he is the best. It's his entire reason for being. And this is where the podcast um, comparison breaks um, because I'm just doing this in my free time. It's fun for me. <laughs> so I'm not trying to be the best Twilight Zone podcaster um, or Stephen King podcaster or general movie and TV podcaster. Uh, check out all my podcasts, um, obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. Um, but it's interesting because this this scene or this this moment for, for Jesse ends with him saying that he'd give anything to play him in one game. And so like I, I paused it at this point and I, I put right off the bat, this episode is speaking my language because it seems to be about imposter syndrome. And that is something that I feel in my daily life, both at work and here on like the podcast. It's something that I, like I and a lot of like creative people struggle with day to day. It's something that, am I as good as I think I am? Am I, am I as good as I could be? Do I know what I'm doing? Do I have any idea what, what I'm doing? Um, and, uh, yeah, like learning this new equipment for podcasting, um, yeah, <laughs> I've been podcasting for like eight years and I just learned what a lot of um, pretty normal things about podcast production mean. <laughs> so um, so there's some interesting applications to my daily life with this episode. Um, and then I was really struck by the, the next scene because the next shot is a shot of Fats Brown playing pool in limbo, essentially. And I, I thought immediately that it was heaven, but apparently it's it's limbo. Um, judging from the uh, the quotes, for, uh, I think from George Clayton Johnson in um, uh, Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic, and right off the bat, I thought that's a really unique vision visual for the Twilight Zone, um, and I thought it was really interesting that he's, he was, he's paged, he's being paged by a voiceover. And I thought that that was kind of silly, but, but it lends a certain funness to the episode that I thought was really like even more compelling uh, than if it was just something that was steeped in mystery. So something else that I noticed in this scene compared to the last scene with, with Jesse in that position is that Fats is playing pool in the shot. And I thought it was a really interesting choice to have all of the balls, all the, all the balls on the on the table be uh, black um i guess to signify the afterlife or death 
Um, but I found what I found really com- uh, compelling on repeat viewings was that to compare this shot of Fats in the opening in the opening of the episode with Jesse's position in the end of the episode, they're completely different. Fats is actually playing pool at the table, and he does look a little dejected and a little downtrodden from you know having to be called away to uh, challenge his status or whatever. But compare that to Jesse. At the end, and Jesse is just sitting in the chair. He's slumped over in his limbo scene. And I th- I found that really interesting because it's setting or it's not setting up, but it's kind of signifying the difference between these two these two characters. Jesse is like like uh Fats says in the episode, he is a win at all cost uh pool player. Fats has this admiration and respect for the game and his skill that is evident in his limbo scene versus Jesse's, which is just Jesse works, has worked his entire life to be the best. And now he is suffering for that. And I'll talk more about that as I get to the end of the episode. But I just found the the comparison of those two shots um, at the beginning of the episode and the end of the episode really compelling and interesting. So then we get Fats Brown appearing in the pool hall. And I really like that he's kind of shrouded in darkness. And then the light illuminates him after he speaks. I thought that was really cool. And he says like, Hey, I'm here. Um, let's, let's do this. (laughs) And then we get the opening narration from Rod Serling, which I'll play right here. Jesse Cardiff, pool shark, the best on Randolph street, who will soon learn that trying to be the best at anything carries its own special risks in or out of the twilight zone. So, I, f- I found that the the opening narration and even the closing narration kind of lend this episode uh it it really gives the episode a punishing quality and I I I'm kind of back and forth on that. So the way that Serling says like um says that Jesse Cardiff is the best on Randolph Street. He says it kind of dismissively like the best on Randolph Street kind of sarcastically. Um, and I, I think overall that tone works and he, there's some, there's like a little chuckle he has at the end, uh, narration that I really liked, but I think overall the, the story of Jesse is a little bit more, more serious in tone than what the tone of the narration kind of lends it to be. Um, it, it, it kind of seems a little, a little cruel for the twilight zone. Um, but I think that the, I don't know, I I think I'm kind of back and forth on it. Like it's kind of a cheeky tone for the episode, but I think that I just really latched on to Jesse's character flaws throughout this, that, that are revealed throughout the episode that I kind of wanted something a little bit more, uh, life lesson-y in the narrations, I guess, rather than fun and cheeky. But I kind of agree with Johnson that the original ending would have been stronger in that respect. So Jesse loses. Jesse would have lost to uh, Fats, um, but Fats would have let him live, and then Jesse would vow to be better. Um, and I kind of hope that the remake rectifies that. I think that that would be a really interesting, um, a really interesting thing to to see going into the remake from the '80s if they if they honored or if they restored the original ending, I think that would be a really interesting, interesting thing to compare with how it played out in the, in the original series episode. So, uh, so yeah, so, um, 
Fats Brown appears and he's speaking to Jesse and Jesse says, Hey, you're, you're dead. And I really, really love this quote. Um, Fats says, as long as people talk about you, you're not really dead. As long as they speak your name, you continue. A legend doesn't die just because the man does. And so I think that coming off of the passersby last week, I think that this is a really interesting sentiment to kind of compare to, um, to that episode's kind of afterlife kind of uh, theme and motif or what have you. And this, I don't know, this line by Fats is something that I just, I, it's, it's a thing that I think about quite a lot in my life to be, to be perfectly honest. And I think I talked a little bit about some of this stuff in the passersby episode, but I just, I found it really interesting to see this kind of theme pop up, like this idea of living past your your lifespan. It's something that I, like I said, it's something I think about a lot. Like the idea of podcasting is something like, oh, okay, if I if I were to die, uh, you guys have hundreds of hours of my dumb voice talking about TV shows and movies. <laughs> and it's something that I, I kind of like that. I like thinking about that as like a legacy kind of thing. It might be stupid or it might be kind of, I don't know, um, egotistical of me, but it is something that I think is interesting in the context of Fats Brown's um, quote here. And I'm not saying that I'm a legendary podcaster or anything, but um, I'm just saying that it's just interesting to kind of leave something behind if I were to die tomorrow. Um, Hopefully that would happen after I upload this episode. But anyway, (laughs) uh, yeah. So the other thing about that is, I, I just love Jonathan Waters' performance in this episode. Um, that is his name, right? No, Jonathan Winters. Jesus. Okay. Um, anyway, I just, I really love his performance in this, uh, in this episode. He is so, so phenomenal. Um, like it, it bums me out that he didn't have more appearances in the show, but there's like certain, certain mannerisms and like kind of facial ticks that he does. Um, like as he's talking to Jesse, as he's kind of like goading Jesse a little bit, um, he does this thing where he kind of squints his eyes when he delivers his lines and he moves his head, um, kind of not really cocking his head, but kind of like tilting his head just, just slightly to kind of accentuate a lot of the lines that he says in the episode. And I found that to be a really unique choice. And in a way, it kind of enhances his likability as a character. But he's also, it also makes him somewhat, I don't know, it, a little bit imposing to Jesse, because he is he is kind of goading Jesse. Like he says, um, like he has this kind of attitude when he's talking to Jesse saying that, well, um, okay, well, so it was just all talk. You, uh, you like to play with fire, but you don't like to cook, which I thought that was a great line. (laughs) Um, you're not as good as you claim and you know it. He's just, he's goading Jesse. And I initially, I initially thought that this was Fats flat out antagonizing Jesse, um, or goading him into playing the game because I was sure that this was going to be some, there was going to be some deceit in Fats's side of the story. But I like this even more because it is kind of goading him. It is somewhat antagonistic, but it further deepens the differences between the two characters. So Fats has been in limbo since he died at least 15 years ago per Jesse's statement at the beginning of the episode. So at this point, he must have been challenged numerous times. Over 15 years, he's been challenged countless times. 
Um, but I take his confrontational tone that he hasn't played anyone who is worthy of his talent level because obviously if he did, you know, he wouldn't be the the legend or anything. But it kind of um, – but it comes down to Fats having this love of game – love of the game of pool and – I kind of think that he he wants that challenge. He wants something. He wants he maybe doesn't. Well, I guess he does want someone to unseat him or what have you. But he is seems tired of people who aren't uh, to his to his level, essentially. And uh, I, yeah, it's it's really I I th- I've just found that really compelling. And even. Uh, I, I would even go a step further and say that um, he's maybe he's upset because a lot of challengers maybe often back out. <laughs> um, so, you know, he has to leave his pool table in limbo. Um, so I don't know. But on an even more pointed level, um, another theory is that it could be that he's frustrated with being in limbo. And that's why he's antagonizing or goading Jesse, which is kind of what I thought at first. Um and that might be the intent, but I just, I think that either way works. Any of these theories kind of work. Um, but I do think I like the kind of frustrated King theory more in terms of not finding a, a proper successor, I guess. So Jesse in, in this moment bites back at him and he says, you're like every other legend living on a reputation. And he says, he doesn't believe the things he he's heard. He says like they're impossible. And I kind of thought, so, so in this moment, Jesse talks about how one of the old timers in the pool hall has said that, um, said that he saw Fats Brown make this impossible shot. And, uh, Jesse calls, calls Fats out on it and says, like, that's impossible. Like, if you were to hit the ball that hard, it would have flown off the table or whatever. And I kind of thought that there would be a bigger payoff to that. But I guess I guess the payoff is in Jesse's reaction to Fats's playing. Um, and I guess that that's fine. But I kind of thought that that was seeding something for later. But it doesn't really come to fruition. Like, he, it's not like Fats does that particular shot or anything. Um later in the episode to pay it off, which I didn't really need it to pay off. I just kind of thought that it would. So as they're about to, as they're setting up the, um, the game of pool, Fats asks about the stakes. And, um, I, at at this point I pause it and I put, I wonder if the stakes will go as deep as Jesse taking Fats's place in heaven. If he loses, (laughs) then Jesse would be the legend. So, um, (laughs) I kind of called it at that, at that moment, but, it didn't detract from the episode at all. Like I was on board with this and really, really along for the ride here. And I also just noticed like at this point, I I felt like this was, this feels like a slightly altered direction for the twilight zone. Like usually those who have control over the afterlife and life and death stakes are agents of another realm, like the devil, the man in the bottle, my voice cracked, um, the devil, the man in the bottle, Henry J. Fate, I guess, um, he might more, more be the exception though. We don't really know enough about him or anything, but here Fats is an established human being character in the world who in his afterlife has the ability presumably to take Jesse's life if he loses. And to a certain extent, I don't think that works in the episode's favor because while I know the stakes of the game, I don't know precisely what the implications of the stakes are. So I don't know. And as the, as the episode progressed, I kind of felt like 
it doesn't feel like Jesse is like like playing a life or death game. Like it does with Jack Klugman, Klugman's performance, but on a narrative level, it's like, okay, is this is this ghost really going to kill Jesse if he loses? That's that's just kind of. I don't know. It is. It. I. I didn't get that tension. Not that I needed that. That to be a source of tension. But I still didn't really read that into the episode. Um. Even though it's pointedly, um. Uh. Pointed. Pointedly pointed out <laughs> in the episode or spelled out in the episode. So, as they're establishing the the stakes, Fat says that Jesse said he'd give anything to play him. And that's when Fats establishes life or death stakes. And um, he says, it's interesting to see how much faith you have in yourself. And he also continues to kind of antagonize him a little and says, you don't want to be the best bad enough. And he says, when I was your age, I would have jumped at the chance. Then again, I was better than second rate. (laughs) Um, And he then also says that to be the best, it's like an important it's a point of pride. It's something important to be the best. And it takes talent, luck, work, and nerve. Um, and at this moment, I just, I really love Fats Brown. And I love his analysis of skill and everything. Um, I just, it, it's it's really compelling to see, I think the writing of this episode and the writing of Fats Brown as this larger than life legend of this thing that our main character has worked toward perfecting like his, his entire adult life. And then some is just a really, really fascinating rabbit hole to, to fall down with these characters. I think that that is an incredible dichotomy to strike with this kind of two hander of an episode. And I really love it for that. Um, also as they're like about to set up the, um, (laughs) uh, the game, uh, there is in the background on the wall, the horse portrait that is used a lot in, uh, Twilight Zone, um, in the sets and everything. And like, I, I, I was tickled by that because I remember it was used in, uh, Mr. Dingle the Strong, I think. And, uh, and I think that this might be the first time that I pointed it out and was like, oh, okay, I know that that's the, that's the famous horse portrait that's in a bunch of episodes. So I was really proud of that. Um, so, uh, so then Jesse's kind of uh kind of arguing with him. He's a little hostile toward Fats, which is understandable and I I like this version of Jack Klugman um quite a bit. I think it's I think it's really good for that character. And he says he talks about and I, this is a dumb note, but he says that he has um that he's committed his whole life to the game and everything. Uh he says he I haven't been to the movies in years. And I haven't been on a date or anything. Um, and like in my notes, I have my one year theater anniversary was my one year movie theater anniversary was March 11th. So 2020, and I'm recording this March 25th, 2021. So that's a bummer. But, um, but, uh, March 31st, Indianapolis is opening up vaccines to, uh, ages 16 and older. So I, I'm going to be able to get the vaccine. So I'm super excited. Anyway. Um, so at this point, I like to, to know something about me is that I've always been drawn to depictions of people who devote so much of themselves to honing a specific craft. I I don't know what that is about me. I don't know what I find so compelling about that. Maybe because I, I felt that like, I mean, I started a website called obsessive viewer, so (laughs) I kind of have an obsessive personality. Um, 
And I just found that really interesting. And that was something that I really, really, uh, really, really hooked me in this episode. So as Jesse and Fats are, are talking and, and setting up the game and everything and talking about the terms, Jesse tells Fats that he's good. He's like, I'm good. I'm good. But I love Jack Klugman's performance here because he 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 stops short of like that. He his confidence is shaken and he isn't sure. And this is why I think Jesse Cardiff is one of the most fascinating and rich characters in the Twilight Zone thus far for me, for my personal taste, because he is a character like if if you make your skill level at something, your personal identity where does that leave you when your skill level is called into question and your confidence in your skill is shaken? Like that is what Jesse Cardiff's whole story is about. It's the root of the story. Jesse has devoted his life to becoming the best at something, but he sees it as transactional. He has put all his time and effort into perfecting his game, so therefore he believes he deserves to be the best. It isn't about a deep love or appreciation for the game. It's about stature and validation, which is something that comes into play um, later in the episode as we learn more about Jesse, but just at this point, it's just, it is so evident how transactional it is, how important it is for him to be the best rather than him to feel the best or, or for him to, to earn the best because he feels like it is something that should be given to him or something that he deserves, um, regardless of the outcome of this game. And I just found that to be a really rich and interesting development for this character. So Jesse accepts the terms and uh, I, I love this moment because he has his back to, to Fats and Fats Brown is, is uh, it's, it's while Jesse is trying to decide if he's going to accept the terms and everything. And he has his back to, he has his back to Fats and Fats starts to leave. And I think he might mutter something like, well, I'm going to leave or something. Or I don't even think he mutters anything. I think he just starts to move. And then without even looking, Jesse takes his hand and grabs grabs Fats by the arm and says, no, no, we're going to do this. And I just love that. Just that that moment is so interesting to me because he knows that he's in. He's He's in no matter what. Like this is something he can't pass up. Even if the stakes mean that his life is going to be over, he is in all the way. And like, he know, like, I don't know if Fats knows that at that point, but Jesse knows that. And so he knows that so much that he, you know, stops Fats from leaving without even looking at him. Um, it's really, it's really great. So around this time is when we start to, when we get kind of the act break, I think. Um, and I found it really interesting that we're a third of the way through this episode and the game is only just about to start. <laughs> And I, I love that. I love the structure of this episode. I love the pacing of it because this slow build toward the start of the game of pool is so important because it is all about the development of Jesse as a character and the establishment of the stakes and Jesse and Fats's approaches to the game um, itself. It's just, it's really great, rich with character development and incredibly needed. So as they're setting up the table, um, again, I, I'm so drawn to depictions of people who are kind of masters of their craft and the care with which Fats has for his cue is so endearing and it establishes and reinforces their professional stature um, in the in the game that they're playing. So 
Fats has this kind of monologue where he talks about how um, the big game hunter has his elephant gun. And uh, I think uh, I can't remember what else he said. He has like two other um, examples or or whatever. But he talks about how this cue was made specially for me and I made a living off of it and it cost six hundred dollars. Um, and I was like, holy crap, like $600 in 1961. Whew, I, don't, I can't, I didn't do the math or I didn't look up the inflation, but wow, that is, that is a pretty penny. But he, I, I just, I'm so like, I was so enamored with his care and love for it. Like he, he is respectful of the history of the instrument with which he built his legacy on. And that is something that I found just really endearing and compelling. Um, and I found it especially interesting in contrast to the way that Jesse racks the balls with this determined effort, but not in the same way. Like he's not careful with it. He's like, he's like almost forceful with it. Like he's, he's, you know, he's, he's ready to go to prove himself because as I, as I mentioned, this episode establishes these two characters as not necessarily opposing forces in terms of like their respect and skill level for the for for pool but it's a di- they're different enough in their approach and their reverence for their craft and i just found that really compelling so they set up the game it's one game 300 points they toss a coin and uh rem- uh before they look at it fats puts his hand down and says you can still change your mind uh, to Jesse. And I kind of wondered if this was meant to be a warning for Jesse. Um, but on the other hand, I, I guess since the stakes are life and death, it kind of makes sense for him to, to give him one last out. So I don't know. It's, it's, um, kind of either, or I don't know if that's meant to be a warning for Jesse or just like, like in terms of, you don't know what you, what, what hell you're going to, what hell you're going to incur if you win. Um, or if you die, like it's a lose-lose situation for Jesse. I don't know if it's meant to be that deep of a warning for him, but, um, I found it pretty interesting nonetheless. And so Fats wins the coin toss to break and we get our act break and yeah. And so we come back from commercial and Fats breaks, but he doesn't break. And I, I really like the way, again, how Fats sort of narrates his break, um, Again, that kind of head swivel he does kind of gives off the sense of authority over the game. And it's almost intimidating, but it's just short of that. It's more that he's showing his knowledge and respect for the game rather than being condescending or anything. He's saying it as a as a sign of respect rather than, a, oh, I know more than you or I'm more in touch with the game. Um, it's more that he just has uh, this reverence for the game of pool. And so uh, Jesse takes his turn and he doesn't break either. Um, he doesn't break the full thing. He uh, just, I think, hits one ball or something. And then <laughs> I love that he was he was just like, oh, let's see what you do with that. Um, and also I just wondered, like, what if that's the whole game? Them just kind of hitting <laughs> hitting the cue and not hitting any balls in. I don't know. I don't understand pool too well. Um, so, <laughs> um, so when it's when it's fat's turn again, there's one, there's a shot that I, I love in this episode. I, and again, Jack Klugman's performance, he is like such a quintessential everyman kind of actor, at least in these two episodes of the twilight zone from him. 
And he just plays it so, so understated and under the radar in this episode that I just, I love, I love it for, I love him for it. So the shot that I'm talking about is of, uh, of Jesse's shadow behind Fats when Fats is about to shoot, when he calls the 15 ball in the quarter, corner pocket. And you hear Jesse say, if you miss, you'll leave me wide open. And, but, but we don't see him in the shot because we only see his shadow cast upon the wall behind Fats. And it's just, it, I don't know. It's just such a, such an interesting, interestingly framed shot. I don't know what deeper meaning there is there or anything, or if there is, I just think it's a really cool shot. And I also like how bad his posture is in the shadow. Um, like his head is almost slumped down and I kind of feel like it kind of reflects his quality of life in that moment. Like his entire life is riding on this both literally and figuratively because he spent his entire life working toward this moment. And by doing that, he has cast aside any other kind of quality life experiences he could have had, um, along the way. And I just found that so, so, uh, reflected so well in that shot of his shadow against the wall as he's kind of saying in somewhat of a, I don't know, a kind of a, not really threatening tone, but more of a kind of, I guess, semi-threatening tone. Like, if you miss, you'll leave me wide open. Um, kind of trying to get into Fat's head, but failing at that. So, um, so then I'm not going to go play by play or anything, but Fats breaks and, and then it's Jesse's turn and he gets two in. And what I found really interesting about this, this was such, this is where kind of like the floodgates of Jesse Cardiff's character just uh, uh, just swung open. Um, he hits, he gets like two, two balls in, he, two shots back to back. He gets a ball into the, into the hole and he says like, he, he's kind of like kneeling down and looking at it and he's like, he wants Fats approval. Um, he says, did you see that and everything? And then, uh, Fats says something dismissive, like, yeah, yeah, it was all right. And the, the look of dejection and the look of just uh, anger that, that Jesse reacts with is so interesting to me because he's disappointed. He's, uh, he, he wants, he's seeking Fats's approval and he's disappointed when he doesn't get it. And again, he seeks to be the best pool player. That's his, that's his, that's his goal in life, but it's not because he wants to be the best at what he does. It's because he wants the validation of others. And, Jesse may also want to seek validation from Fats because he's an authority in the game. He's a legend. But as we kind of progress throughout the rest of the episode, we learn that Jesse is all about like what people think of him. And it's a, he's a very thin-skinned character, and he puts so much energy and, and weight on what other people think of him. And I find that to be such a compelling and resonant um, character flaw for this character. And it's written just beautifully in this episode. I, I really love it. So at this moment, Jesse gives his backstory and it's clear he's got a chip on his shoulder. And I initially thought that he was talking about how he was being bullied as a kid, but I think that it's more that he was insecure and envious of other people's talents. Like he says, he says to Fats, like, oh, you're just like everyone else. Um, everyone, everyone that's, uh, I went to school with who were just easily talented at sports and, music and everything and made me did everything they could to make me feel this big. Um, and I, I adore, uh, Jonathan Winters is, um, 
uh, response. He says, in again, in that perfect, like, kind of head tilting, held, head tilting or nodding in this case, um, squinty kind of, kind of facial expression. His face is kind of turned up a little bit. He says, "But you fooled them, right?" And it's just, it is, it is brilliant. Like, it cuts so hard. Um, the sarcasm of that is it's so under the radar and it's so matter of fact, it's so dry, but it cuts so hard. But at the same time, it's also barely perceptible. And like, and it's also, it's elevated, elevates that line so much because I mean, Jesse doesn't even catch the sarcasm uh, behind it because he, his obsession over pool and perfecting his game is is all that he's consumed by. And the fact that he didn't catch the sarcasm of that, he says, yeah, I did. Um, it makes that whole, subs- uh, that whole obsession that he has all the more detailed and rich. And it's just, it's such an, it's such an awesome uh, character moment for, for both characters. It's just so great. And like Fats is just kind of like, he, he knows who he's dealing with and everything. So uh, Jesse goes on to say that he knew that there was something he would be good at. And he stumbled into, he stumbled into the pool hall and watched a bunch of the people playing pool. And then he, he beat an old man on his first try Um, in this. Okay. So this I found resonated with me in a big way because um, you're listening to a podcast that I, produce and (laughs) I do everything for, um, this is my 525th episode of like main episode of a podcast that I've recorded in the last eight years. And that is something that I never thought I would do eight years ago. Like I never thought that I would be, you know, someone who just talked about topics that I'm interested in for an audience all over the internet and everything. Just never, never thought that I would do that. One of, as a kid, I was cripplingly shy (laughs) and very, very, I was, I was very much like a Jesse Cardiff, like internalizing all of these insecurities and everything. Public speaking was a horrifying prospect to me. And like, it was racked with anxiety. I was racked with anxiety and everything. So I just, I just found so much resonance with Jesse, who is an incredibly flawed character, but also it just really reflects how flawed of a person I was and probably still am in many respects. But, um, in the case of, of me relating it to, uh, my growing podcast empire, um, <laughs> I just found it really resonant and really interesting to me. So there is such a great moment here now uh, that is such a great moment of comedy because Jesse says, I, kn- I knew then that I had an eye for this game. And like, as he says that he, he hits the ball. And uh, from what I understand of pool, he scratches. So the cue ball goes into the hole. Um, and then all fat says in response is what happened to it? Meaning what happened to the eye he had for the game? That's, that's my, that's my read of it. I, I don't, I, I, I'm like 90% sure that that's what is intention and is, is intended, but that's how I read it. And I thought that that was just brilliant. Like the humor behind that is so dry and biting that almost to the extent that it, it's almost anti-comedy. Like it is, it is so dry um, that it, that it borders on just being anti-comedy. And I like it a lot. I, I, I love that moment. So now that it's Fat's turn, he is again, 
kind of not pon- pontificating, but he's talking about geometry and like like he's talk. It gives this air of like two professionals talking shop about their their profession, their craft, and. Again, the the care and precision that Fats uses when using that Q angle thing, like he has um he has that that stick on the board that uh, allows him to um angle his shot uh more bigger. <laughs> uh but just the care and precision, like the 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 physical performance of of Jonathan Winters. I'm I'm like 90% sure that that's his name, not Jonathan Waters. I don't know. But anyway, um, the precision of that, the care, the respect, the reverence is is so just intoxicating uh, as a viewer because um, it's just so uh, – it is it – is, it is so evocative of, of the skill level. Yes, it's Jonathan Winters. Okay, I can finish vamping. <laughs> so um, – I just I love that shot or that scene uh, with him setting up that shot and talking about his craft. And so on the other hand, Jesse is anxious. He has something to prove and he is he's he has the sense of determination. So like you see him kind of Jack Klugman's physical performance is that of a nervous character, a nervous person uh, with his life on the line, I guess. And he also has something to prove. He needs to prove to himself that he is the best and he is capable of being the best. And I just love how like quick he is with, with his shots and everything. And it's just in stark contrast to how precise and respectful Fats plays. And I just, I found that to be really interesting, that change up between the, their two styles. I think that, that it speaks volumes without any dialogue. And Speaking of which, we have a mono, or a montage, I should say, and uh, we've got classic uh, Twilight Zone Dutch angles, which I was really, I was really into. I really like that. Um, but also here is where I, I felt like the episode didn't really establish the life or death stakes too strongly. Um, it's it it kind of I don't know. It, it kind of um, it just it just didn't. I think I was more wrapped up to wrapped up in the actual performance of the pool playing um, than the actual stakes. Like I just, at this point, I just didn't get the sense that Jesse will die if he loses. And, but, but yeah. So anyway, again, Jack Klugman's performance is fantastic. Like he, he shoots his shots. He's too quick and empty with his plays um, with his turns and everything. And I feel like that's really a testament to Klugman's performance. Like you really get a sense that his shots that he takes are just muscle memory. And it's not something that he carefully does because he has a respect for the game. It's something that he does on almost reflex because he has spent every night of his life perfecting the game and working on working toward this game. It is, it is his essence. It's what he does. And it's just in such stark contrast to Fats's playing. So we get an update on the score. It's 50 to seven, I think. And suddenly Fats starts playing well. (laughs) Um, And at this point I wondered, is Fats actually hustling Jesse? Is this like intentional? Um, Because Jesse is, becomes visibly nervous. I think he's kind of biting his nails or he's, he's kind of just like looking very kind of uh, distant and everything. Um, And at that point I had a theory that maybe Fats's end of the deal is that he will come back to life. Like I kind of pictured this ending to it 
it to the episode that would have been like Jesse in limbo and Fats playing pool in, in on Earth or whatever, which I think would have been an interesting ending, maybe a little bit too punishing, a little too a little too dark um for it. But um I think it's I still think it would have been pretty pretty interesting. Um so then we get kind of the opposite montage, I guess. So so now we see Fats playing really well. And what I found really interesting about this montage is we've already seen Fats setting up the shots and doing precision pool playing and respectful pool playing and everything. Um, so here when we see Fats playing well and actually like improving his game and everything, um, we see this montage mostly through the POV, um, of Jesse, like most of the camera shots of the, of the, of all of the turns that Fats does is on Jesse's face during it. And, what I found really interesting about this is that he looks like Klugman has this look on his face like, oh, I'm 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 in deep shit right now. <laughs> like maybe this isn't so good. Um and I kind of wondered, like at this point I was wondering, is Jesse fearing for his life or fearing for his confidence as a pool player slash his personal identity? So I and I that's where I kind of latched on to the stakes of the game. Like his his life for the game and uh, if he loses um because i feel like that's a compelling comparison there's a compelling comparison to make in that the thought that is is jesse not getting the validation of uh, the validation or the title of the best like if if jesse not becoming is jesse losing and not becoming um a legend of of the game the same thing as losing his life, which I guess in that case, he would lose his life because he would lose. <laughs> so that kind of blows it out of the water. But I think that there's a comparison to make that uh, if he loses, like he loses his life because he doesn't have, you know, it's confirmation that all of that was for naught and he doesn't have the skill to be a legend. So I don't know. But again, we get more Dutch angles and then we get it kind of sped up. After the montage, it's revealed like, okay, it's 299 to 296 with Jesse in the lead. And uh, Jesse misses his shot and Fats ties it up. And I just want to sig- I just want to break right here and just say that the sound design in this episode is phenomenal. Um, like, um, just the sound of the balls hitting and going into the, going into the pockets and like rolling down or whatever they do. Um, in the, like the, the actual sound of it, like when you think about it, that sound should feel kind of harsh in theory, but in this context, in this, in this setting, in this episode, it just sounds so appealing. Um, especially since it's most of the soundtrack of the episode, like there's very little music in this episode. Um, it's mostly just the sound of pool playing and it just has this energy to it that I found really, just really soothing and, uh, just really, really appropriate for the story. I just, I, I loved it. So, as they're, you know, wrapping up the game, Fats says, you know something, Jesse, there's more to life than this pool hall. And he starts telling Jesse kind of how to live. And Fats says, I've made love, climbed hills, swam in the ocean. Um, and then he also says that it hurts him to see Jesse throwing his life away in the pool hall. And I found that really interesting because this felt like Fats, uh, like maybe noticing that he was going to lose and trying to save Jesse 
trying to save him from a lifetime or an after lifetime of limbo uh, playing a game that he's clearly not that passionate about or anything. And even on the other hand, maybe there's a read of that to, to where you can kind of see that as fats not being ready to relinquish his, his standing or anything um, there that makes less sense than, than mine, uh, my theory. But, um, I just, I, I think that it was really interesting and it really helps to kind of develop fats as a compassionate person and, uh, a, a, a likable person, humane person, I, I guess humane. Um, yeah, even though he's threatening to kill Jesse. So, uh, he sabotages Jesse's shot and, even though Fats is kind of playing dirty, he's still pretty pleasant about it. Um, so like he's, uh, Jesse gets mad and he's like, oh, you know, um, it's just, it's just sportsmanship, you know, um, just trying to get in your head or whatever. And he's like saying it kind of jovially, jovially, jo- jovially, jovially, I don't know. Um, uh, funnily. <laughs> and I felt like it's because he still has knowledge and lessons to give to Jesse. and. I felt like maybe he was trying to prolong the game in order to, to reach Jesse more by telling him that, um, you know, uh, he needs to live life and everything. It's not pool. Isn't pool. Isn't all life or anything. So Jesse asks why fats is sweating and why he's so nervous. And, um, fat says reasons I'm afraid you wouldn't understand. And Jesse misinterprets that as thinking that it's due to ego. Um, and I feel like maybe it's because Fats is one shot away from having his afterlife back, actually moving on from Limbo and into an afterlife. Um, but also in the process, he's condemning Jesse to Limbo. Um, so I, I don't know, that that felt a little... The There are a couple of lines where Fats kind of alludes to a greater kind of, not purpose, but a greater kind of orchestrating thing. Like something, There, there's more to this setup than, than Jesse knows. And it's kind of concealed for us a little bit. And it kind of, it kind of just feels a little, maybe a little hollow. Like I kind of wish there was a little bit more to those things. Um, but I don't know. So, um, but yeah, so at this point, even though it keeps the nature of the stakes from being the focal point, I kind of like how normalized the supernatural thing is. Um, like, I mean, it's just accepted that this dead man is back for a game of pool. And there's nothing, even from, from the beginning of the episode, there's nothing like, there's nothing like, uh, like in Long Live Walter Jameson, there's not long explanations or anything like that. There's not, there's not, um, long dialogue about ch- just trying to set it up and everything. It's just like, Oh no, no, no. This legend came back from, came back from, uh, limbo to, you know, face this, face this bull player. Let's go. Um, I just really, I, I love that. The economizing of the story is really great. Um, and so, okay. So Jesse gets mad and he, he's like, he mistakes, uh, Fats' response for being an ego thing. And Jesse's like, it couldn't just be a nice, friendly little game and everything. And Fats' response to that is just perfect. He says, I take them as I find them. To you, pool is not a nice, friendly game. It's a win-at-any-price affair. I acted accordingly. And 
it's great. Like, um, Fats says that he'd like to see Jesse win, and he calls attention to the fact that Jesse is uh, taking a mighty long time to take it, to take that final shot. And I love Jonathan Winters' delivery of mighty long time. Um, it's got some bite to it. Like, he, like he, I don't know, It's he's, he's anxious to get, you know, on with his afterlife and everything, but it's also kind of trying to get to get through to Jesse that, you know, trying to explain to him, like, I don't know, trying to, uh, I guess, make it more evident to him that there is more to life than, than this game. I guess maybe that's, maybe that's a stretch, but I don't know. Um, and he also talks about, um, what it means to be a legend and everything. He says that, uh, he's kind of telling, he tells Jesse that he, um, that, that to be the best is a great honor and everything, and that someone's got to keep the flame and to weed out those who aren't worthy. And, like, on one hand, like I said, it's kind of, I kind of wish that there was a little bit more to the kind of legendary limbo, as I would call it. But I also, on the other hand, like how downplayed the mechanics of it is. Like, there's a lot of subtext behind his words, and it really opens the audience up to what limbo is like for him without having to explain that much. But the thing that the, 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 that is great, like that is that is incredible writing. I think that that's fantastic. But the line, the next line where he says, shoot this ball and you may win more than you bargained for. And then Jesse kind of like brushes that off. And then Fats says, sorry, I was required to say that. And I don't know, like that just seems a little out of place to me. That's what kind of bugs me a little bit about um, just on a very small level about the writing of this episode is that that kind of alludes to a bigger kind of, uh, not structure, but a, a, a bigger deal in terms of the limbo and the mechanics of legendary limbo. And I kind of wish that that was expanded upon or that was explained or even left out entirely. I don't know, but um, I don't know. So uh, Jesse makes the shot, wins the game, and uh, Fats smiles, and he starts to put his cue away and everything. And so Jesse um, doesn't really learn a lesson. <laughs> he he's he says, "I beat you," and I found this really like tragic in a way. Like I found this to be a very tragic and and heartbreaking thing. He says, "I beat you. I'm the best," and then he says, "I'm the best at something." And him saying that he's the best at something to me is just is really heartbreaking because it's all he has in his life. And because of that, it's all he'll have in the afterlife. And it's just it's really a beautiful and kind of poetic, in a sense, um, line. And it's something that it's the it's the kind of pivotal moment of his entire character arc that he's finally got the thing that he wanted he's wanted his entire life at the expense of having an actual life he's now the best at something and that's just heartbreaking because he doesn't learn his lesson <laughs> um he doesn't learn that you know there's more to life than a game of pool and so fats thanks him and again Jesse kind of misreads that and asks why um why why is he thanking him he beat him and uh uh, Fats cryptically says, you'll find out when the time comes to leave Randolph Street. And so Jesse again becomes irate about that. And he uh, calls him a sore loser and says he beat him fair and square. And then he goes up. This I found really interesting. He goes up to the wall and picks up the, the portrait 
of Fats, like he's going to throw it at him. <laughs> um, but when he turns around, Fats is gone and Jesse's alone. And this is where he breaks the fourth wall. And I found that really cool. And again, it's an interesting change from the beginning kind of soliloquy he does um, because that, at that point in the beginning of the episode, he wasn't breaking the fourth wall, um, because he was unsure. He was, he was trying to convince himself now that he knows that he is the best. He can speak directly to us about beating the legend. And I just found that really, a really interesting choice in the direction of the, of the episode. And so he's celebrating his victory. He's like laying on the table and everything, um, it's that, and that just speaks volumes about the character and and who he is and everything. Um, and then we get the kind of the Twilight Zone ending. Um, we transition to Jesse in limbo. He's tiredly sitting uh, on the on the uh, sitting at uh, sitting in the chair, not playing pool. He has his head down. He's very he looks very exhausted, and he answers his page to be challenged in Sandusky, Ohio, and. It's interesting. I kind of think on one hand, it kind of says a lot about that old cliche of finding something you love to do and you won't work a day in your life or anything. And in that respect, Fats told Jesse that the game for Jesse isn't a game and he was right. So Jesse is miserable because he saw the game as a means to an end and he didn't, he didn't consider what would happen after the end. And he saw it as a means to a stature that he only dreamed of because he wanted to be somebody. He wanted that thing. And it's a very hollow kind of um, vain thing to want. And it doesn't give him any substance or any anything to really be be proud of because that was his only goal. And uh, yeah, so in, in that sense, that ending of him being very tired and, and leaving the... Uh, leaving limbo to go challenge the next person. Um, that makes the ending kind of work really well for me. Just that it, this is his, uh, kind of punishment for not kind of appreciating the, the other things in life than, than his, than his somewhat selfish or somewhat greedy kind of, um, pursuit for greatness. So yeah, um, that's the end of the episode. We get the closing narration from Serling and I'm going to play that right now. Mr. Jesse Cardiff, who became a legend by beating one. But it was found out after his funeral that being the best of anything carries with it a special obligation to keep on proving it. Mr. Fats Brown, on the other hand, having relinquished the champion's mantle, has gone fishing. These are the ground rules in the Twilight Zone. And again, I really found that ch- that chuckle that Serling does, um, having lin- relinquished the... Um, uh, the champion's mantle has gone fishing. These are the ground rules in the Twilight Zone. Um, I found that really charming, um, even though I kind of ultimately kind of wish that it was a little a little more serious. But I think that that's – I found that really charming. And it, it kind of gives a, a little bit of, um, I guess, resonance or, or it, gives, it gives a little bit of texture to uh, – or a little bit of character, I should say, to Serling's uh, – uh, performance in the narration. So, um, so yeah, I don't really have any trivia. If I do come up with any, I'll put that at the end of my, uh, 1980s game of pool review, but that's my review of the original episode, uh, the original series episode, a game of pool. 
And yeah, so now I'm going to watch the remake from the 80s uh, Twilight Zone and then I'll come back and uh, review it. Obviously, there won't be any uh, there won't be any wait on your end. So um, hope you guys enjoyed this first part of the episode. And yeah, I will um, see you in just a second. <laughs> Okay, and I'm back, and for this bonus review, I'm, uh, like I said, I'm going to be reviewing a game of pool from the 1980s Twilight Zone reboot, um, season 3, episode 20, I believe, um, it originally aired on February 4th, 1989, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited because, like I said in the first segment of this podcast, I hadn't seen this before... I started recording my review of the original, so um, I'm hoping that this review will be interesting for that reason. Um, and on that note, before I get into the whole uh, review and everything, um, let's go ahead and run down the talent. Um, I'll, I'll do that. So <laughs> uh, this episode stars uh, uh, S.I. Morales as Jesse Cardiff. He appeared in one episode of the 90s Outer Limits, one episode of Tale, Tales from the Crypt, and... He also had recurring roles on Ozark and Titans. Uh, that's more recently, obviously. And uh, as Fats Brown is Maury, uh, I'm sorry, Maury Chaikin. Uh, he didn't have much in terms of sci-fi kind of stuff, but he was in My Cousin Vinny and Dances with Wolves. And writer for this episode was George Clayton Johnson. And I, when I first saw that in the opening credits, I kind of wondered if this was going to be either using his original script or if he actually wrote for this version of the 80s series. And uh, I think that they use the original script. Um, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure that that's the case. And director for this episode was Randy Bradshaw. This was his second of four 1980s Twilight Zone episodes. And he also directed five episodes of Ray Bradbury Theater and seven episodes of Goosebumps. Um, so um, obviously I'm not going to tell you the plot summary because it's pretty much the exact same plot with a couple – with with – one or two notable um, changes or re uh, revisions or uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's the original. So what I will say that before going into this episode, before watching this episode for the first time, um, one of the main things that I was curious about was who they would have for the for the Jack Klugman role, who they were going to get to play Jesse. And I was also I also did think that it would be cool if they did use the original ending. And in my notes, I have hashtag release the Johnson cut. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, okay, so I'll just go right into my review of A Game of Pool from 1989. So right off the bat, so I, as I'm sure you guys know, I don't really dive into the 80s Twilight Zone that often unless there's an episode from the original series that was remade, and then eventually I'll eventually down the road when I finish the original series, I'll move on to the 80s, but I'll also do the Outer Limits before that. It, I have this whole ridiculous roadmap that I'll be following until the day I die. 
So anyway, um, on that note, whenever I do watch the 80s Twilight Zone, um, it's it's just so so different from the original in in in, uh, in a it's it's updated I guess I guess that would be how I would describe it but this time when I saw the opening the opening theme music that I played earlier in the segment um, just I was overcome by this feeling of uh, just I put in my notes sigh uh, sigh Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone had such a better opening theme. <laughs> Like, I don't know, just something about this opening theme music for this iteration of the Twilight Zone in the 80s just doesn't really work for me that much. Like, I'm going to play a little bit of it again. Um, It's just, it seems like way too spooky. And maybe that was kind of the motif of the 80s series and everything. But... I, it just feels like it's it's missing something. It's not that morality tale based story or anything. It just I don't know. It just seems too spooky for what I have come to love about the Twilight Zone, which is not its spookiness, but its commentary on human nature and and um, you know its commentary on social commentary and everything. I don't know, but it it just it something about it just doesn't really work for me. So anyway. Um, so this episode isn't, well, it is that two-hander kind of thing, but there are more than two actors in the, in the episode. So it opens up with the actual pool hall closing at closing time. And, um, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting way to kind of bring us into this story and kind of establish Jesse in a more, I would say, more organic way, honestly, um, because it just shows that, okay, Jesse is committed to the game, and he, like, uh, we we see the owner say, like, oh, hey, you know, you can stay after or whatever, and then the other guy's like, why does he get to stay after hours or whatever, and then the owner's like, well, because he asks nicely, <laughs> um, <laughs> and we also see Jesse setting up a, what is... Uh, considered an impossible shot and like the guy's like he's trying to be the next Fats Brown um I don't know and that's it's fine I I don't know Uh, that kind of seems like a weird change from not really change from the original or reversal from the original because in the original we had um Jesse talking about how uh one of the old timers said that he saw Fats make an impossible shot but here we have this impressive shot that Jesse makes. And it's the same as the original because the original he makes he makes a shot that he cheers to the empty room for. And he does that here. So it's an it's kind of an interesting um uh it's an interesting scene the way it's set up because Jesse uh, the the guy says he's gonna be trying to be the next Fats Brown, and then in the next instant Jesse shoots the takes his shot and everything and he makes the he makes the shot um, and then he turns around and cheers. And it's interesting because he is, he cheers to the empty room, like in the original. And in this moment, he kind of breaks the fourth wall. Like it, it feels like too early. It felt way too early for that. Um, and it just felt a little out of place, like a little performative. And honestly, nothing against Asai Morales, but man, he is playing this role in, a, a very heightened state, like in kind of a, 
it kind of feels like a theatrical thing. Like it's like he's projecting to the to the back of the house, to the back of a theater audience. And it's it's more in tune with a theatrical production where, you know, it's kind of a I don't know, maybe not theater of the mind, but it just seems more like it's it he's more he's more he's emoting more and um enunciating more as foreign effect. And it something about it just doesn't ring true to me. And I don't know, but I do like that there's there's w- at least one shot where he's he's going through his spiel saying like, oh, I'm the best. And then, you know, all I hear is Fats Brown and Fats Brown and all that. Um, as he's doing that, there's like this row, this row of empty chairs, like set up in front of him as he's kind of talking and w- like wandering around the pool hall. I did like that because it's like he's literally talking to empty chairs, like an empty audience. And I, I kind of thought that that was pretty cool. Um, and then it kind of, uh, just transitions to, um, I, I think a reverse shot or something of Fats Brown sitting in, sitting in an empty chair behind him and saying like, oh, you rang. And this is when we get the opening narration, which is the, uh, verbatim from the original. And here it is. I'd show you who's best. One game. One lousy game. At your service. Jesse Cardiff, pool shark, the best on Randolph Street, who will soon learn that trying to be the best at anything carries its own special risk in or out of the Twilight Zone. And, okay, so I I don't remember who does the opening narration or the narration in the 80s Twilight Zone. And, honestly, any... Any narration in the Twilight Zone, whether it's Jordan Peele or Force Whitaker or whoever does the um, 80s one, um, it's not going to hold a candle to Serling. Like, there's just no way. It's just, it's not going to work. Like, Serling was Serling and Serling was incredible. He was, he, like, there's no topping that. But I will say that I do, I was surprised at how much I kind of like the um, kind of smooth, or maybe a little rough baritone, I guess, of the opening narration or the narration in the 80s series. So for what it's worth, it does work, but it's no one's going to top Serling ever. Um, It's just, I don't know. And because of that, like Serling has this ability to make, make, a, a delivery of um, narration sound enticing or to put like a certain spin on it like he does in the closing narration for this one. That little chuckle is really just like it feels like Serling having fun with it. This in the 80s series kind of feels more like it's just not perfunctory, but it just seems like it's more an affectation for the tone um, than anything else. So I don't know, maybe maybe the narrations change throughout. Well, I mean, this was the third season of the 80s Twilight Zone, so I don't know if, uh, I don't know how it would stack up with the rest of the series, but I don't know. I, I think at the end of the day, just Serling isn't going to be topped. So uh, we uh, get back to the show um, after the narration, and we get it like this is mostly the same script. It's mostly the same episode with a couple of different things that I'll, I'll point out here and there. But for the most part, it is it is a it is a true to form remake of an original episode, and that carries with it a certain um, 
problem <laughs> in that the original has so much subtlety and so much subtext. And this episode kind of kind of goes a little bit out of the way to kind of erase that or or to minimize that level of subtext and everything. And that's that's a shame. So um, we get Fats Brown's introduction and, um, <laughs> Jesse, Jesse's like, but you, you're, you're, you're dead. And he, he kind of, this is an affectation. This is an, this is an embellishment that I'm going to do, but it feels, it felt like he was like doing like the Scooby-Doo stuttering thing or like you ghost or you're dead. And it's not like that. That is an over exaggeration and everything, but that's just the tone that I, or the feel that I got from it. Um, when he delivered that line and Fats Brown kind of finishes finishes his sentence for him and says like oh you know I'm I'm dead and he delivers that line of legends don't die as long as people talk about you you still you're still alive and everything and especially in this version of the episode this is a very very important line and very pivotal especially for the end of this episode and I've got to say that the actor Mari uh, Chaikin he kind of delivers it a little flat and I don't know if that's I don't know if that's a fault of his performance or if it's because Asai Morales is playing so high energy that Mari Chaikin is not meeting that level but it just it feels just a little flat and it just it it bugged me just a little bit and I like I said this is a mostly verbatim um recreation of the original but I've got to say, it's just not as well acted. I mean, Klugman and Winters were phenomenal together. And I think part of that is because there was so much subtext, like kind of baked into that episode and so much subtlety and so much character development. Here, this is more flashy. This is more, this is more the story of a, of a kid playing pool to save his life. And, and that's, that's kind of just a bummer to me. And also in the way that Mari Chaikin plays Fats Brown, he does this in a more, much more intimidating manner. Like he seems like much more put out by the, by the fact that he had to travel from Limbo, which we don't get to see Limbo in this because we don't get that shot at the end with, with, um, Jesse and Limbo because that's not how it plays out in this episode. But, because of because Fats Brown just kind of appears out of nowhere, it kind of I don't know, it doesn't really it doesn't really communicate the otherworldly nature of Fats Brown, which is weird because they kind of put in like one or two extra lines of him kind of explaining to Jesse, like, oh yeah, I know that this is crazy, this is out of uh this is weird, but I'm here and let's play or whatever. Um I don't know. And again, Asai Morales plays Jesse with a certain intensity. And at times, he does seem to be kind of channeling Jack Klugman, um, but in a more theatrical way. Jack Klugman played that kind of normal everyman character so, so perfectly. And Asai Morales kind of does channel that energy a little bit, but it's more like it again it's just more theatrical it's more like like where jack klugman would say like oh i'm i'm i wanted to be good at something i like he does that with this um this pain be behind his words that it's like this is something that he's worked toward his whole life cuz he needs to he needs the validation he needs stature in his life whereas Asai morales will say like I, I wanted to be somebody i wanted to i wanted to be the best at something like he does it with this energy of like, like, this is, this is what I've, what I've worked for. It's more, 
I don't know. It's just it's it's more theatrical is the best way that I can uh, say it. Not over the top. I, I don't want to say over the top or that it's overacting because I do think it's a pretty fine performance. But it's just like it's just a little bit close to that. And also when Fats is um, kind of saying the stakes and everything, he does the the whole like, well, you know, we'll play for life and death and everything. Um, one change that I, I I was bothered by. I think, I guess I was, I'm kind of back and forth on it. So when Fats like kind of starts to leave instead of in the original where Jesse kind of pulls him back without even looking at him um, because he's already made his decision. Instead, Jesse like physically chases after Fats in the pool hall (laughs) um, instead of having his back to him and everything. And I thought that that was interesting I much, much prefer the original and in almost in pretty much every single case in this in this episode, I much prefer the original. And that's just that's probably because just different era and different. I don't know. It just I mean, the original is the classic for a reason. (laughs) Um, It's just it's it's amazing. But what I will say that in defense of this change in the in the remake, it does show that Jesse has a certain level of desperation to him. And, and I do, I do like that quite a bit. And so they're setting up the table and everything, and they're about to do the coin toss. And this bugged me, this bugged me quite a bit. So Fats like pulls out a cigarette and he starts smoking and kind of instead, kind of instead of, um, of kind of talking about the professionalism or the, or the admiration he has for his pool cue, um, sort of. So he does take that out. And, and I don't understand, first of all, I don't understand fat smoking because he's dead. And, um, like if the, if the money is no, of no use to him, then why does smoking work for him or whatever? But I will say that kind of that smoky pool hall aesthetic is kind of, kind of neat or it kind of rings a little truer to the, uh, to the setting of a pool hall. So I guess I can kind of get on board with that. But with the way that Fats takes the pool cue out of the little um, carrying thing, he doesn't really have the same professionalism and admiration that Jonathan Winters had in that scene in the original. Like there's some of that with him assembling the pool cue and talking about how expensive it is and everything. But it, it one of the things that bothered me is that they om- omitted the line about like how big game hunters have their elephant gun and whatever the other example was in that episode so by omitting that line it kind of comes across as more about the price of the pool cue and how he used that to um earn a living and everything okay pizza just jumped on my uh counter thing and I had to move my water. Okay. So, um, so, so that's, I don't know, that's a minor issue that I had with it and everything, but then we get the coin toss and this I thought was another kind of interesting change, I I guess. So Jesse flips the coin and then he's the one that puts his hand down and he's the one that, that kind of hesitates a little bit. And that's what causes Fats to say, like, oh, hey, you can still change your mind. And I thought that was an interesting change up from the original, because in the original, Fats kind of stops him before he takes the, before he flips the, or lifts his hand, um, kind of in a, like, oh, hey, last ditch effort, like, this is life or death, you know, you can change it now, you can, go, you can back out now, or you can change your mind. 
But here it's that Jesse Jesse hesitates and Fats kind of calls him out on that saying like, hey, it's not too late to change your mind. And I don't know, that's that's kind of interesting in the way that it conveys Jesse's kind of shaken confidence or lack of confidence. And it kind of leans into the showboaty way that he acts after he uh, – after he makes shots and everything, which is another interesting change for me or an interesting read of it or, um, um, wow. Um, an interesting interpretation of it. So Jesse makes a, makes a good shot. And like, it's this, it's similar to the original in that he starts cheering and in the original, again, it's more subtle. It's more low key and everything. And it's like more dripping with subtext, but here Jesse is cheering himself in a much more showboating way than rather than him seeking validation from the master of the craft that he has worked to perfect. And I don't, I don't like it. Um, like him being more of a boisterous kind of like, Oh, look how great I am guy. Instead of like, oh, this was great. Please give me like validation for this like legend of the craft or legend of this sport. Um, so by having this this just showboaty kind of way of of cheering himself on, it doesn't convey that same sense of insecurity that he has that was the driving force of the original. And that just that just kind of didn't sit right with me. It was kind of a bummer. And another thing that I didn't really like about this episode is that there was way, way too much music um, during the montages and everything. I mentioned in my review of the original that the the kind of the score is almost supplanted or replaced entirely by the sound of the pool pool balls hitting each other and and going into the pockets and everything, like the actual sound effects of the pool game. And that just made it so so much more um, immersive in that original episode. Here we have this kind of just normal, like kind of regular, if not dated for the 80s, um, musical score that just, it just, it's way, it felt too distracting. It just, it did not feel like it was enhancing the tone of the episode by any shot, by any chance. Um, I will say though that the actual montage, the shots of the pool, um, the pool shots of the the game itself are pretty cool and um it it's 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 pretty good effective filmmaking and they do have their montages and everything and i do think that it's interesting that the montage of fats like kind of on his role and doing his thing and you know playing pool very well um it's interesting because in the original it was mostly just shots of Jesse reacting um, but here it's it's equal parts Jesse's reaction and cool pool shots. And I don't really mind that, although I guess there could be an argument that it does kind of undermine Jesse's arc just a little bit because it makes it about the skill of the pool players and not this existential story about Jesse devoting his life to a game for the sole purpose of becoming a legend rather than actually living his life and everything. And another thing that I didn't really care for that much, and I don't mean to keep dogging this episode, but a thing that I didn't really like was that um, when Jesse, when Jesse has his turns and everything, like there's such an effort to show Fats Brown kind of sitting and looking just kind of stone faced or, or, um, bored throughout it. And it's, I guess it's supposed to convey that he's unimpressed because he's such a master of the game and everything, but it just comes across as just kind of hokey. And 
and just it doesn't really work for me or anything. One thing that I did really like about this is something that's through no fault of uh, for, uh, Jack Klugman or anything, but I do like the casting of uh, Asai Morales as Jesse Cardiff. Um, it's good casting because he is so he's so much smaller and youthful than um uh the Mari uh, Chaikin um playing fats it's it's just it is such a stark contrast and that's kind of interesting since in the original Jack Klugman something i forgot to mention in the trivia section was that Jack Klugman was actually 3 years older than Jonathan Winters and so there's not that there's not that same kind of mentor mentee or protege and master kind of kind of uh visual relationship in the original episode but here like it is such a such a difference of like look and age between the two actors that it does it does really convey that in a in a really big way so i do appreciate the episode for for that if nothing else, which I do, I do like this episode for the most part. Um, I'm just nitpicking a lot of things about it. So, um, another thing that I'm nitpicking about it is that I, I'm, I'm so in love with Jonathan Winter's performance in the original episode and to see Fats Brown be kind of, kind of reduced to at times a bored kind of spectator of Jesse's skill level, but also this, weird angry person it is is really really a bummer so in the scene where fats is in this in this instance he's chalking his his cue um uh chalking his cue uh not a euphemism um and as jesse's about to make uh i think it's i don't know if it's the game winning shot but it's it's a close to the end of the game shot and he drops the chalk on the ground just as he does causing Jesse to miss uh the shot and when Jesse calls him out on it he's like hey that's low and and you did that on purpose and everything in the original Jonathan Winters is like oh you know just a little good sportsmanship and everything um and that was kind of to convey like that kind of um pleasantry that he has was to convey that he, you know, still had lessons to impart upon Jesse and everything and try to get through to him. Here, Fats is just way too aggressive. He's like, oh, just a little, just a little gamesmanship and you lose your, you lose your cool. What the hell? Or whatever. Um, you fuck. Um, he doesn't say all that, but um, it, that's kind of the energy he brings to it. And I don't know. It, it just comes across as it feels way too aggressive, and I really think that that's saying something, considering that throughout the whole episode, Asai Morales, who does a pretty good job overall, it's undeniable that Asai Morales is bringing some really big energy to his performance, that up until this point, uh, Mari Chaikin wasn't matching, and so to have him just kind of burst out with this aggressive, angry like outburst at him when he is kind of playing dirty um to Jesse is is just it doesn't really work for me it just it just left me feeling kind of um a little out it felt a little out of place and i guess it makes sense since the whole this version of this story kind of seems more in tune or more focused on the idea of Fats Brown not wanting to relinquish his his legendary status, I guess, which feels much, 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 uh, 
much more, I guess, heavy-handed would be the word, or it just seems more rudimentary or reductive of, of the original episode in, in a pretty pretty negative way, in my opinion. And so we get the scene where he's sweating and he's nervous, although the makeup effect isn't that extreme in it. But um, Jesse asks him, like, hey, why are you why are you sweating and nervous and everything? And he says, oh, it's for reasons you probably wouldn't understand, which is... Some like the, I think verbatim the same line from the original, but in this context, it kind of comes across since there hasn't been much in terms of um, in terms of the the obsession of Jesse Cardiff. It's more Fats Brown defending his title. Um, in this context, it kind of seems like it kind of reads more literal, like it's for reasons you probably wouldn't understand it, meaning that he's nervous about losing the title of legend in like a legendary pool player. Like that's 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 Fats Brown's whole thing. Um, man, I just had an idea I'll talk about in a second, but that's Fats Brown's like legacy and he's going to lose that legacy. So that's why he's nervous and sweating. It's not because he maybe wants Jesse to win or wants Jesse to realize that life is more than pool and everything. Um, and also it doesn't have much mystique behind it in that case. Like, I guess it's okay overall, but it, and, and I did have problems in the original episode with this idea of kind of this mystical thing about limbo and everything. But I think since we don't see limbo in this episode, having that, having this line be verbatim from the original strips it of that mystique behind it. So another thing is that as Jesse is preparing for the last shot that he would win if he gets it in and everything, um, Fats is talking to him and the fact that Jesse keeps preparing the shot and gets interrupted with Fats talking about life and how there's more, more to life and everything I feel like that really undermines the original's mighty long time line um, because Jesse's eagerness in this versus the character's hesitance in the original, it doesn't really convey how much his life has built toward that game itself. And here's the idea that I just had, which is the same, the same exact idea I had when I did, um, <laughs> uh, when I did my review of the remake for um, Shadowplay. But what would have been really interesting is if they had made, instead of doing a remake of um, a game of pool, they did a sequel, like another game of pool, where instead of it being Fats Brown, it's another kid who, um, like, who calls upon Jesse to come down and, uh, and, and challenge him for that. So in that case, that would have been interesting because then we could have that perspective of Jesse Cardiff being the legend who his entire identity was his legacy as a pool player. And maybe that game could have been him actually finally connecting with like the, the, um, I don't know, the the romanticism of the game that he devoted his life to. Um, obviously, that didn't happen. So <laughs> um, I don't know. I just think it would be interesting. And I, I've now done two episodes of the 1980s uh, Twilight Zone where I have um, talked about how much I would have preferred it to be a sequel to the original rather than um, a straight up remake, which makes me really excited because in a few weeks um, I'll be covering it's a good life. I think in a few weeks, it might be later in the season, but I'll be doing it's a good life and the 2002 
uh, Twilight Zone episode, It's Still a Good Life, the sequel to it. So I'm I'm, I'm really curious how that's going to play out. But anyway, back to a game of pool, and Jesse loses. So this is the original ending, and that's why there was no shot of Limbo early in the episode. And I've got to say, I recorded that first segment... Um, last night, I think. <laughs> and it was last night. Yeah. And I don't really remember uh, if I said that I thought that the original ending would have been interesting to see or would have been an improvement because I do love the original ending. And I've got to say, I think maybe because maybe because this uh, remake is is less subtle and less about less ex- existential than the original. Um, maybe that's why I'm about to say what I'm about to say, but this does not hold a candle to the original ending. (laughs) Like, um, I, I don't, uh, like, I think seeing it play out this way, I think that Serling was right to change the ending. I think that the original ending as it aired in 1961 is a vast, vastly superior ending. And I don't see this as working quite as well. It's not as satisfying, but I do like some of the lines that um that that Fats Brown says. So um okay. So first of all, I'm gonna say this. This was so hokey and so awkward and dull, but uh after he loses Jesse's like, well what are you waiting for? Get it over with. You said life or death. And then Fats like puts his hand in his pocket and slowly takes out chalk uh, like the chalk thing for the pool cue and puts it on the puts it on the pool table. And I was just like, okay, it's it's like the episode is trying to manufacture this tension that, oh, he's gonna take out a gun. This this ghost is going to take out a gun and kill this kid because he lost a game of pool. And it just it did not it did not work in the least bit for me. Um it really it really did not work for me. But what I do kind of like, even though it is it is very much kind of lacking of really any subtext is the way that Fats Brown uh, kind of explains himself. He, It's not necessarily that Jesse has called his bluff or anything like that. It's that um, Fats Brown says that the reason that I gave you a life or death ultimatum here is that um, you needed you needed the pressure in order to to be tested and everything, which I thought was kind of cool. And then I, I really like this line. He says, anyone can be a marksman if the target doesn't shoot back, which I thought that was just a really, really good line. And then um, he explains that Jesse will die eventually. And he says, you'll die as all second raiders die. You'll be buried and forgotten without me touching you. If you'd beaten me, you'd have lived forever. And I do like that line. Um quite a bit. I thought that that was a really kind of poignant way to um express the the weight of the like the the weight of being a legend um and the kind of failure of not meeting that legend status. I don't know what kind of moral statement it's making um except for uh hey, you know, uh <laughs> Jesse Cardiff, you suck. You didn't win, so you're second rate. I don't know. But I do think that the the end of the episode feel, felt just a little bit hokey and and just kind of weird. Like it's a close up on Jesse, and he's uh, it's after Fats Brown has left. He says, "You'll hear from me again, Fats Brown." And uh, I don't know it. And it kind of I think when I first saw this episode, it because I've watched it a couple of times now, and what I feel like is that it 
what I'm coming to as I'm as I'm as I'm recording this review is that it's not about Jesse Cardiff's obsession, which is something I was incredibly interested in in the original. But it's also I, it's also barely about Fats Brown defending his legend status or whatever. Um, it just doesn't do enough on the subtextual level to really make it an engaging episode. And so to end it with Jesse saying, "You'll hear from me again, Fats Brown," and then and then working like practicing and everything, it just feels kind of hollow, and it doesn't. It feels a little bit devoid of any kind of moral thing, except for. If you kind of carry over that obsession angle from the original episode, it just means that um, that his game with Fats is going to cause Jesse to just fall fall deeper and deeper into his obsession, which is a dark ending in of itself. Which I mean, the original ending is pretty dark. Uh, excuse me, pretty dark, but um, I, it just doesn't have that moral thing behind it. I don't think so. I don't know. And then so since we don't have Jesse in in limbo or anything, we do get a new closing narration, which I will play right now. Lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing leave behind us footprints on the sands of time, on the earth as we know it and in the twilight zone. And that's an all right closing narration. Um, it's a little poetic, and it's it's kind of beautiful in its own way. But I don't know. It just it, it it's fine. Um, yeah, it's fine. I don't know. I don't really have much in terms of trivia for this episode. Just that it obviously used the original ending, and also that I think ah I should have checked this, but I think that it was made during a writer strike um, back in eighty eight or 89 um it aired in 89 but i think it was made in 88 so i don't know but anyway um that's my review of a game of pool both episodes um obviously i much much preferred the original and i i love jack klugman's performance and i was very impressed with jonathan winters and heartbroken that we're not going to see any more of him or anything or that he did heartbroken that he didn't do more drama because i think that he was a really really fine um actor in the twilight zone and asai morales and and um mari chaikin were both fine they were they were they were fine <laughs> so um it was it's all told it was an it was a good episode of the remake and a very good episode of the original so yeah, on that note, I think I'm done with this episode of Anthology. Um, next week on the podcast, I'm going to be reviewing The Mirror, which is episode six from The Twilight Zone's third season. And um, you, uh, I know I can hear the cheers now. I'm going back to science fiction theater next week. I know, I know. I'm again. I'm sorry that I uh, had you guys wait a week for it, but um, but yeah, I'm coming back to science fiction theater. We'll be reviewing episode fifteen. From season one of science fiction theater, The Frozen Sound, that again, I hope is available online to stream somewhere, anywhere. But I'll put a link in the show notes and everything. But on that note, uh, that's it for this episode of Anthology. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. And once again, check out Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer for more content and everything. And uh, yeah, once again, thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.
And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Um, and it's weird. It's so weird. And there's a line in the fourth episode that I just cringed so hard and I got just really uh, kind of, I was flabbergasted by. Um, <laughs> uh, the A character says, coming back to school after a two-week suspension is like coming back from war. Um... Anthology is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to AnthologyPod.com slash archive. You can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AnthologyPod and follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at anthologypod.com donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. Official anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, can be found in the Obsessive Viewers T Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com/donate, or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com. For information about the Obsessive Viewers annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com, and on Twitter at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. You can also find As Good As It Gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! You know, Jesse, there's still one ball on the table, and it's taking you a mighty long time to get at it. Why?